Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church Conway. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. Thanks for listening. Colossians chapter 1, and as you're turning there, let me ask you, do we have any San Francisco 49er fans in the room? Anybody? All right, just a couple? Okay, good. I'm still going to go on with this story. Um, San Francisco, you know, 49ers, um, they're not Cowboy fans' favorite team, all right? Uh, They're the bad side. And we're the good side. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, and I know y'all know that uh, for a couple of reasons. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan because I was raised correctly. I'm also a Dallas Cowboys fan because they are um, they're God's favorite team. Now, I, I can hear some of you saying, you know, oops. I mean, if they're God's favorite team, then why don't they win more? Which is, I mean, that's a valid concern or, or question. But Romans chapter 2 verse 11 says that um, God does not show favoritism. Um, that does not say that he doesn't have favorites. He just doesn't show it, all right? So God's favorite team is the Cowboys, and he sticks with Romans. It does not show it, all right? On September 24th, 2000, I remember this game. September 24th, the year of our Lord, 2000, uh, we were playing, the Cowboys were playing the San Francisco 49ers. They're in uh, Irving at the Texas Stadium there, and they had a receiver on their team named Terrell Owens, Terrell Owens, and um, nicknamed T.O., okay? And T.O. made two reception touchdowns, two receiving touchdowns, and on both occasions, he took the ball from the end zone to the middle of our field, right there where there's this big, beautiful blue star, and right there on the middle of the blue star, he celebrated his touchdown. Uh, Later on in a documentary, T.O. says that he was giving thanks to God, uh, when he did that. That's not the way the Cowboys saw it, all right? That's just, it's not the way that it was understood at the time. So, um, in accordance with uh, the rules of Texas, uh, the, the defending um, player, George Teague, ran out there to greet T.O. in the middle of that star, all right? I mean, it was a violent collision type of greeting, um, but he tackled him, and uh, he was penalized for it. There was a flag thrown, and most of us felt that that was an unjust call. And let me tell you this, uh, Dallas Cowboys fans hated T.O. at that moment. Like, he was the worst player alive. There was never, uh, God had never created a worse player than T.O. Um, we would have had Barabbas um, but, uh, instead of T.O. because we just could not stand that guy. And then a few years later, he did what was even worse. He went from the evil 49ers to the even eviler Philadelphia Eagles, all right? And so this guy at this point is unforgivably reprobate, okay? And so the guy is just horrible. We, we could not stand that. And I remember people talking about T.O. like he's the worst player who has ever existed. But something strange happened. In March of 2006, Dallas Cow- Cowboy fans began to embrace T.O., began to love T.O. as, you know, one of our own. We began to look at T.O. not as a reprobate, but as a child of God and um, loved that guy. And he became what many people at the time, one of their favorite players as Dallas Cowboys fans and as Dallas citizens. The only thing that changed on that day was that T.O. signed with the Dallas Cowboys. When he had a star on his helmet, he had moved from the evil empires to God's country and God's team. And so we loved him. At that point, he was family. He was dressing out in the, in the changing room. And like I said, with a star on his helmet, he became family. And that's how that 
works. He transferred from the enemy to the family. And some of you may not really be into football. Some of you may not be into sports. After yesterday, many of us sat back and said, you know, I'm really more of a basketball fan, and that's okay. That's all right. But I know that you have experienced this sort of feeling where somebody or something has gone from something or somebody that you do not like, that you hate maybe, that you loathe, to somebody that you really like and you really enjoy. I've talked to people who did not like their in-laws at first, but then they got to know them and they loved them and they're even treated better um, than their spouse is treated by the in-laws. I even know people who could not stand the person that they eventually ended up marrying. I know that because I am married to one of those people. Uh, I loved her at first sight. She took a little bit of convincing, you know. I'm an acquired taste. There is also, if you think back, uh, think back to, to school. You know, that teacher or that coach that you were convinced was trying to kill you. You know, you remember that person? And now you look back and you see them as a blessing. Somebody that pushed you to be better. Somebody that pushed you to love. It even applies to silly things, like when you finally try mushrooms on your pizza and you realize that pizza is better with mushrooms on it and you've been fighting that your whole life for no good reason. How many of you would be willing to admit, show of hands, that you cried through a fit and you got mad at your mama when she tried to make you take a nap and now you would consider a pay deduction if they would let you take a nap in the afternoon? Anybody in that ballpark? I've actually considered that at our office. I'm technically the boss. We could do that, but I have decided against it. All right, so there's just these things that happen where we do not like them. We do not want them. We do not like them, Sam, I am. And then we transfer all of a sudden to loving them, to being a part of them. In fact, I just thought of that. That's exactly what Green Eggs and Ham is about, you know. I do not like them too. These are very good. That sort of transition happens for us. Today, you are fortunate. Today you're blessed. You're with us and we're starting a brand new series in the book of Colossians. Colossians is actually a letter. It was written by a Jesus follower named Paul, a very faithful Jesus follower, an apostle of our Lord, which means sent out to a message. He wrote this letter to uh, the Christians there in a city called Colossae. And even though he had never been to Colossae, he had heard that they were not um, clear on who Jesus was and, and how exactly to follow him. And so he wrote this letter in order to encourage them to have a correct view of who Jesus is and to uh, follow him correctly. In chapter 1, verse 13, the verse that Jackie, or portion of the verse that Jackie read earlier, it says that he, that's being God, has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. That is where we got the idea of this whole series called Kingdom of Light. Transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And it is, and I admit it, inconsequential. It does not matter to you or to me, which teams uh, T.O. played for in his NFL career. It doesn't matter one lick to anybody. But your walk with God, where you are going and where you will end up matters tremendously. Which team you are on or which kingdom you are a part of. In fact, it's all that matters. That's what we're going to be looking at today. And I hope that you will consider it honestly. When you look at yourself, you'll consider it um, honestly. 
Let's pray together. God, thank you for this morning and thank you for what you have provided for us. I pray that as we consider your word that we would open our minds and our hearts to it in such a way that you could you could change us, that you would challenge us, that we would see clearly the light, even though we are citizens of the kingdom of darkness. So God, rescue us, reconcile us, redeem us, and adopt us. And for those today, Lord, who have not yet done that, for whatever burden or hurdle, whatever wall that they have up between you and they, I pray that you would destroy it, you would trash it, that you run in and rescue them today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray together. Amen. Colossians 1, verse 21 says, Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions. Paul has just spent a few moments writing about the sheer beauty of Jesus, just the amazing glory of Jesus Christ. And then he transitions right here in verse 21 and says, Once you. Now, to be completely clear and transparent, that you there had in mind the Colossian Christians. That's who Paul was thinking about. He could not have fathomed um, us or Arkansas or the United States or history, those sort of things. He could not have fathomed that. However, the implications do uh, land with us. In other words, Though uh, the original audience was the Christians and Colossians or Colossi, everything that follows is applicable to you. So when we read once you, we could clearly read once we. This you is you, all right? And everything that follows is about you. He says once you were alienated and hostile. Now, these two words are not words that any of us want to be called. They're not two words that any of us want to be um, characterized as. But before we kind of unpack what they mean, what is clear is the implication that in both of those words, alienated and hostile, there's an implication or implied reality that this is speaking of at least two sides. That you are alienated from something else and that you are hostile toward that thing. That's implied in that situation. There are two sides of the equation. And you were on this side. We like to think in terms of good and bad and, and good and evil. It's very clear through this text, the, the hostile and the alienated, that we were, and you need to accept this, we were on the bad side. We were enemies. And that alienated means different or distinct, that there's a separation. And by itself, it's a neutral word. Alienated just means separated. But when you combine it with the word hostile, which means aggressive or violent toward, what we realize is that we were not just alienated and hostile, but those two words together make us the enemy. We were the enemy. Jackie preached at an um, event in Los Angeles this last weekend, and so she was gone. And whenever she's gone, one of the things I like to do is watch suspenseful movies, okay? I really like suspenseful movies, and she does not. Thrillers, those kind of things, like murder mysteries, if there's a little, uh, a little bit of gun violence, I'm okay with that, like Born Identity or something like that. I really like those kind of movies, and she doesn't like them. She doesn't want to watch those. And so I go and I look for one of these on Netflix and I found this one and it was all religious. It had all these religious tones and stuff. And I even watched the preview and I thought, this is cool. This is going to be, this is my kind of thing. It's sort of dark and I, there might be 
a murder or something. They're going to try to solve it. And it was all religious overtones and the Catholic Church and all this sort of stuff. And I get about two episodes in and I realize this isn't, this isn't a thriller. This is a horror movie, all right? And there's a big difference in horror movies and thrillers. And thrillers, you're trying to figure it out. In horrors, you're trying to like hide, you know, and this sort of stuff. And I don't watch horror movies, all right? Um, I don't have like a personal conviction against it other than I like to sleep. All right, and uh, these things scare me, and so I get about in halfway through this thing, and uh, there's a there's a like a demon in this thing, and it has this really scary face and these like huge bat wings, and and it is creepy, like creepy, and it keeps popping up and glowing eyeballs and and all of this sort of stuff. It was completely different. It was completely separated, and it kept hurting all the people of this this area, this island. It was the enemy. What Paul is describing here is that. You were the, the bad guy in the horror movie. You were the alien. You were the scary. You were the disgusting, the, 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 the turn away from, the pull up the covers over your eyes. That's where we were. We are alienated and hostile, not neutrally either, but both in our minds and our actions, in the way that we considered God and what he had created, and in our actions and the way that we displayed that toward him. Now, it's difficult for us to uh, put ourselves in the bad spot, right? Anytime you read a story, whether it's a kid's story or you watch a kid's movie or anything like that, we're always, um, we're always the good guy, right? We're all, we always identify with that side. We're always the people on the white horses and the saviors and the heroes and, 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 the, and the good guys, all right? Nobody watches Sandlot and identifies with that one team with all the matching jerseys. We're all the guys eating the s'mores in the treehouse. Nobody pictures himself as the bad person. But we are. We were. So then if it's so hard for us to picture that, then let me ask you, what does it look like? I mean... None of you were ever sitting in like a foxhole shooting bullets at God or throwing grenades at Jesus. So what does it mean that we were enemies, hostile, alienated threats to the throne? What does that mean? Well, it, it means in a number of different situations that we took what God had given us that was good and we manipulated it. We distorted it. We um, perverted it. Like the family. This creation that God made in order to um, give us other people or to give one another the support to go through life, to, to uh, reflect God's glory in creation, not um, something that any one of us individually can do, but that collectively we could reflect the nature of God and his love one for another and submission to each other and care and nurturing toward other people. That's why he created that. That's why he made that. And yet we run into marriage with this selfish desire that, that she or he is going to satisfy the, the, the wants and the desires that I have. And when she or he does not do that, then we are mad at them or that we are resentful towards them because they, in our marriage or in our relationship, that she's not fulfilling what it is that I want. And then we have children and they're, they're birthed into a family that is self-centered and, and corrupt and we expect them to be raised or grow up in a way that's going to better reflect my glory to the world in their grades and in their sports accomplishments and in the way they behave in front of other people because I'm not mad because they messed up. I'm mad because it disrespects me. 
We are selfish in the way that we look at the family. And it's not just the family. It's also all of the other relationships that we have in our lives. God says it's not good for you to be alone. And so he gives us one another like a church, like like friends to walk alongside of one another in this world. But we see other people as a commodity to be used, not as a community to invest in. And so we want them to feed our ego and to tell us good things and to make sure that we feel good about ourselves and that we are never alone. And we're not really ever concerned about what they need, only what they can provide us. And the second that they don't, you know what we do. We just discard them and we find new friends because it's just as easy as a click on Facebook or a follow on Twitter that that's what friendship is, is somebody who will listen to me ranting. We use people. We're selfish. And then we look at our work. You know, work is a good gift from God. God gave us this ability to use our hands and our minds and our sweat and our strength and our creativity to steward the resources that he has given us to, to bring order like he brings order to like the, the earth was uh, over the, the formless and it was chaotic and the spirit of God hovered over it and created and we were supposed to display that, that we would go into our jobs and our lives and, 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 the, and the fields that we farm and, 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 the, and the cattle that we raise and the papers that we sort and the management that we do. We were supposed to go in and bring structure and order and, and, and grace and steward these things. We were supposed to do that. And that was going to reflect God. But what we've done is we've taken our jobs in such a way that now that we are not uh, as create, creations giving glory to the creator, we are getting our identity from that which we create. We are what we do instead of we are created to do. And if our work is our identity, then our money is our worth. And so never mind the reality that God formed you, fearfully and wonderfully made, and made you exactly the way that he wants you to be made, with the gifts and the strengths that he made you to experience and to reflect his identity and his glory to the world. We never mind that now my worth is in dollar bills and coins and things that I can count and things that I can hold, even though that's vastly less than the worth that he gave you on the cross or in your creation. So we take all of the good things that God has given us, family and relationships and work and, and, and resources, and we manipulate them. We turn them to where they bring us glory instead of us working through them to bring him glory. And this is an attack against him. This is an affront to him. We have perverted the good things that he has given us, and we have spat in his face with this. We don't care about the gift we don't care about the giver. We only want our own glory. And in this way, we are vile, disgusting people. We are gross and unlovable. That we have just manipulated what the Creator has given us. It's an affront to Him and it's an assault to Him. The bottom line is that we are desperately selfish and destructive. We are self serving and horrendous, ugly people who have defaced the image of God. And what's worse, what's just as bad is that in this self-serving, destructive way that we live our lives, we hurt other people all the time. 
We hurt our family. And we hurt our relationships. We hurt our co-workers. Why? Because we have turned the whole thing to be about us. Let me ask you a question. Has anybody ever come to you and said, do you want the good news or the bad news? Has that ever happened to you? The other day, one of my sons came out and said, you want the good news or the bad news? And I said, I don't know. Just tell me. And he told me both things. I said, both of those are bad news. He goes, yeah, I know. That's just the way you start conversations like that. You want the good news or you want the bad news? And I was like, so let me see. I'm curious about our church. I asked the first services, so I'm, I'm going to ask you as well. If you're watching online, I guess you could just do a thumbs up or a thumbs down. How many of you would rather have the good news first? How many of you are that way? All right. How many of you, show of hands, would rather have the bad news first? Man, that's exactly what the 8 o'clock did. And I'm glad that's the case because I just did that. All right. That's the bad news. What I just said that we are vile and that we are wicked, we are alienated enemies of the king, is the bad news. But he, but now he, that's horrible news. That's bad news. That's destructive and painful reality. But now he, he being Jesus, right? None of us are shocked that that's who that is. That now Jesus, you are despised and wicked, but, but, however, Jesus. Now, I, I'm doing this backwards, right? That's not the way that Paul wrote it. He, he said, Jesus, but you, you know, and I'm going, you, now, Jesus. But what does he say about Jesus? If you have the text in front of you, which I, I really do hope you do, look with your eyes up to verse 15. This is what Paul says. He is Jesus is the image, the way we see the invisible God, the firstborn, the best, the, the supreme over all of creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and in earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. What Paul says in what we call this, this poem about Jesus, this hymn about Jesus, the first point that he makes is that Jesus is, is the supreme over all of the created order. One of the ways that we could say this, that, uh, that I, I think you'll know what I'm saying, is that the natural state screams Jesus' name. From Boxley Valley to, to the strength of the Arkansas River, Pinnacle Mountain, they are all pointing toward the glory of Jesus. They point towards that. And we see this in all number of ways. If you are, um, if you've ever looked into the eyes of a person that you love, that could be your mama, that could be your spouse. When you look into the eyes and you see with your eyes the person that you love, you see that beauty with your eyes and you have the ability to see it. That screams the beauty of God. Whenever you hear the, I mean, like the laughter of children, that they are so innocent and so pure and they just laugh at something silly, they laugh that way. When you hear that and have the ability to hear that, they are singing the praises of Jesus. When with your hands you can touch the softness of someone else's skin or, or the coolness of a stone that's near a river or the softness of, of leather, you are experiencing the beauty and the glory of, 
of Jesus, if you've ever tasted an apple or, or the spice of a pepper or the genius of a chef that puts it all together, he is reflecting, she is reflecting the glory of God. And we have the ability through creation to taste that thing. We can see and hear and experience and, and feel if you've ever smelled, if you ever stepped out in, in the fall, crisp evening, and, and, and there's coolness on your skin, and you smell the smoke of someone else's fire that's in your neighborhood, or, or you've smelled what fresh-cut grass smells like, or, or the way that leaves smell as you crunch through them in an isolated wood, when you smell that, you are experiencing the, 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 the you are savoring the, the beauty of Jesus. That's what Paul is writing there. He says, over all of the created order, there is nothing more beautifully glorious than Jesus. He doesn't just stop there. It's not just the created order because we know that creation was broken. It was hurt. It was, it was corrupted. He says in verse 18, he is also the head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Now, firstborn in this text is not talking about Jesus being born, like his, his earthly birth. And certainly in the previous text, it's not talking about him being born. He wasn't, he was never born. He was never created. He is the creator, the, 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 um, the, the first, before everything. But in this part, what he's saying is that Paul is identifying not only is Jesus the head, the most beautiful of creation, he is the head, the most beautiful of the new creation. I, I, I thought about this text all week. I couldn't get away from this reality that says he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, so that he might have come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him and through him reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through, the, through his blood shed on the cross. It's not hard for us to get, to get swept away in the beauty of creation, right? I mean, we feel it right now in this season, in autumn and fall. This is the part where we're all worshiping Jesus. This is our favorite season. Everybody loves this season, right? This is, this is our favorite. It's not hard for us to get, but what Paul does is he takes that creation, those sunrises, sunset, mountain peaks, and ocean waves. He takes that and he puts it right up next to the church. This, what we are a part of. Jesus shed his blood. He died for this, to bring all of the people to himself. The church is just as gloriously beautiful, and Jesus is preeminent of that. Not only the most beautiful over all of creation, not only the most beautiful above the new creation. This is Jesus, and it says that in this he reconciled. He has reconciled you, brought the two together. See, what Jesus did when he died on the cross was to make it right. He traded your ugly for his beautiful. He exchanged you're horrendous for his amazing. This is an amazing thing. Reconciled is a huge word. What it means is that he didn't neutralize the threats. Like we're enemies of God. We are armed and we are mad at him because he won't give us what we think we rightly deserve. We would all nail him to that cross again. 
And yet, even though we are that way, he displays love and grace for us and that the person who responds in faith, the people who respond in trust to him, it's not that he just neutralizes, takes your weapons away. He's not just saying you're no longer my enemy. He's saying you are now my family. It's a reconciling. It's a beautiful exchange. It's a glorious exchange. That which he which is beautiful beyond measure has died for that which is horrendous beyond measure. And no longer are we horrendous. We are blameless and, and faultless and holy. That's what he says. My favorite author, John Grisham, wrote that uh, he had a friend in college, Mississippi State University, and in that university, or shortly after they graduated, they, his friend passed away from terminal cancer. He says, one of my best friends in university. And before he passed away, uh, they met at a cafe. And, and the friend told John that he was going to die. John says, what do you do? What do you do when you realize that you are about to die? He said, it's real simple. You get things right with God, and you spend as much time with those you love as you can. Then you settle up with everyone else. That's what you do. He then said, you know, really, you ought to live every day like you only have a few more days to live. Think about it just for a second. This 25-year-old is saying that when you're facing death, you make things right with God and make things right with other people. And I thought that was moving, not because of some stranger I do not know, but because Jesus didn't face death and do that. He came to die to do that. He laid his life. It was the plan that he would lay his life down. How to do what? To make things right with God and to settle everything up with everyone else. This brother who was facing death lived his life in that way. Jesus took on death to do that thing. George Whitfield said he was truly, Jesus was truly God and therefore could satisfy. He was truly man and therefore could obey and suffer in our stead. He was God and man in one person that God and man might be happy together again. That's what Jesus did. We're happy together again. So the gospel message in this next text, if indeed you remain grounded, if in English connotes or, or denotes uh, uh, doubt, like maybe if this or if, but in the Greek, what's underlying this is assurance. You will remain grounded and steadfast in the faith. If you trust Jesus and what he did and the reconciling work that he did, he will save you. And so the open invitation this morning for you is to move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. To lay down your arms against the king and to be adopted and loved and reconciled and redeemed by Jesus. That's the open invitation for you. It's a beautiful reminder for us that have already done that. And it's good. But what do we do with it? Those of us who are Christians, is there, is there any action that I am supposed to take in this matter, now being reminded of what he did for me? Yes. There's a couple of them that I would just want to share with you. First of all, reconciliation is possible. Reconciliation is possible. Some of you haven't talked to a child in years. You haven't talked to a child because they did something that that dishonored you. And maybe you were right in the situation. 
Maybe you did something that made them stop talking to you. Some of you are right on the edge of a chasm being created between you and your spouse. Or you and another person in the small group, a friend, a friend from high school. You haven't spoke to them in a long time because there has been a gulf set between. And I can't really speak to what happened in that situation. The only thing that I want to share with you, and I know that it's dark and I know that it's hard. Like I'm not, I'm not cheapening any of that. It's super hard. But we as Christians ought to at least hold on to the sliver of reality that reconciliation is possible. If God can reconcile us to him, then through God, we can reconcile anyone to anything. Just think about how sad it is that in our culture and in our community, we have the term irreconcilable differences. And just think about how different Jesus saw that. Jesus says, there's nothing I can't bring back together. Reconciliation is possible. Also, reconciliation is our priority. That as Christians, we ought to work to make sure that other people are reconciled one to another and that we are reconciled to other people. That is what we do. We have been reconciled to God, and so we go out of our way. We sacrifice our own rights or our own claim to the truth. We sacrifice whatever it is that we feel that we are entitled to in order to reconcile with other people within Christian truth and reality. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. This is what we do now. This is what we do. Why? Because we have been reconciled, we reconcile. And then finally, not only is reconciliation possible, reconciliation is a priority, and reconcile, or finally, be reconciled to God. I just want to loop back on that and not leave you alone with this reality. That, verse 21, if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, once you were is you are alienated and hostile in your mind and in your actions. You stand in danger of God's just wrath. You are guilty, but you are invited to be reconciled to Jesus, to be redeemed. Monday started off um, normal, like a good day, it was kind of cool outside, and so my sons and I went out front in the cool green grass, you know, and we played football. We, we, we got a football, and we were playing all kinds of different football games, and um, they, we, we came up with a bunch of different ones, but they all involved me being all-time quarterback, so I didn't have to run a whole lot. So I was standing there, and, and you know, I'd throw, and they would tackle, and all kinds of games. We came up with that, and it was fun. And then a little later, I had to run up here to the church campus and, and get my uh, fire pit, because we'd used it Sunday night, for the women's event, which is a fantastic women's event. If you didn't get to be a part of that next one, make sure you're a part of it. And I got up here, no sooner did I get in that little roundabout right out here by the student center, than my phone rang, and it was my oldest son, Haddon. I looked at it, he said, Haddon, I answered it, and it was my second son, Leland, using Haddon's phone to call me. And he said, Dad, yes, when we went outside to play football, uh-huh, I put my phone on the back of your truck. And I said, hold on a second, let me see. And so I pull up the Find My app, right? It's a little app in your phone that can find your other phones and your other devices. I said, son, your phone's in the middle of Hogan. 
That's where your phone is right now. And I hear him say, it's in the middle of Hogan. And then I hear him say, he says it's in the middle of Hogan. And then I hear Jackie say, he said, it's a where? Like that, you know. And I think she heard him. I don't think she was saying, like, what did he say? I think she was saying something different with that, you know. There was some accusation in her tone, you know. And so he says he's sorry. And then they went, and Jackie told me later, I had pressed the button to make it make the sound. You know, you can, if you lose something, you can make the sound. And so it was making the sound. And I told her, I said, it's on Hogan, right in front of that Methodist church across from the post office. It's right in there. It's literally showing. It's right in the middle of the road. And so they got out and they went down there. And she said she could see it. She could hear it. She was making her way towards it. But then she couldn't. It was already dark. You know, she couldn't stop the vehicle. She was trying to do like this. And right before she gets to that phone, uh, this truck just bulldozes over that phone. That's what she saw. Music stopped. That's what she saw. I saw um, this little phone. It had a little like screensaver on it and then it went black. I was like, oh no. I ho hope it lost battery, you know. It didn't. It died. It's gone. It's gone bad. Like I, I wish I could show you. It's, it's really, really, really broke. All right. So it's gone. Jackie said that there was nothing she could do about it. That truck was coming and it was dark. And it was faster, and she, she couldn't stop it. Even though she wanted to, but she couldn't stop it. They didn't see her, and so they ran over and killed that phone real dead. Here's what I'm saying to you guys, and I hope that you will hear me on this. This verse, you were alienated, is like your Find My app. It tells you where you were or where you are. And hear me on this, and I love you, and that's why I'm telling you this way. Death comes for all of us. Everyone will die. And it will hit you in the dark, fast, and not even your mama can stop it. Your pastor's wife can't stop it. Your pastor can't slow it down. Death will hit you, and it hits all of us. And at that moment, it's over. It's too late. So now, I am begging you, now. You either were or you are. But today, you can. You can accept Jesus. You can trust him and move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light and be saved. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.